Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Dr. M's Women and Children First podcast. I am your host, Dr. M, and boy, do we have a good show for you today. I am so excited to talk to Ken Cook, the president and co-founder of the Environmental Working Group. EWG is a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization dedicated to protecting human health and the environment. Ken Cook has written dozens of articles, opinion pieces. He's been on many, many, many different shows, media, including the Jim Lehrer Hour and 60 Minutes. He is a wealth of knowledge, as you will rapidly see. He has dedicated his career to helping us Americans understand where our environmental health is being dysfunctionally affected by corporations and from that perspective our public health policy where is it failing us what's happening in the world of agriculture as it relates to the food we eat and how safe it is for us and he has gone on to develop different products that we all can use including web site information or app information regarding dirty chemicals in food, what they call the dirty dozen and the clean 15. He, his group has also published information on women's care products and how safe they are. Sunscreens just goes on and on and on. Ken was chosen directly to follow behind Randy Jertle for the express purposes of helping us all understand what is happening in our society when it comes to chemicals affecting our human existence. Dr. Jertle laid the mechanistic framework as to how chemicals can affect the DNA in a way that changes how we as offspring uh, come out of the womb. Ken really has spent a lot of time looking at the toxicologic effects of chemicals as it relates to human health. And so we're going to get into where these chemicals are, what's happening to society, how do we as consumers of life learn to avoid the things that could be affecting us, as Dr. Jertle said, epigenetically. These are critical discussion points that we need to have. So Ken is purposefully number two in this process. He will go through some of his seminal work with the 10 Americans study, where they looked at the chemical exposure of children in utero and found that during analysis of cord blood of these 10 Americans, they found lots and lots of chemicals, over 400 of them, that are potentially toxicologic to the child. Now that we understand the epigenetic underpinnings of the mechanism, we now have reason to believe that these things are occurring, even if we're not being told this from the different corporations or systems in place that should be protecting us. So we're going to get really deep into the weeds of understanding what's really happening to the human frame. How can we as parents, specifically mothers, avoid the toxicants that could cause problems to us? We really need to do a deep dive here. So at this point, I'd love to turn over this project to Ken Cook. Give us the information, my friend. Good morning, Ken. I am so, so grateful to have you on my show today. This is um, part two of what I'm calling the Women and Children Health Series, where I'm trying to lay the framework for why we as a human population are developing more diseases way too early and what the antecedent triggers and causes are. And you come primed with an unbelievable amount of information that I think parents need to hear right after the Randy Jertle lecture that we that I'm going to launch soon so that people get an understanding of where your work ties into this from a mother-child perspective. So welcome. 
Thanks, Chris. It's great to be here. Good to see you. Good to see you on Zoom. Uh, it's been a while since that we've been able to get together in person down in Salisbury, but hope to hope to change that before too long. I know the pandemic got in our way, but I do look forward to uh, getting in touch in person, having a glass of wine and maybe a good dinner like the days of the past. So yeah. let, let's run into this, Ken. So I'm going to I already did an intro for you, but I want to talk about a couple of things briefly. You have been incredibly active in the national space at trying to push an agenda that is for the betterment of Americans. And I'm gonna say this very clearly because I've said this a lot in the newsletter that I write. I've never met a person in this country who doesn't want clean air, clean water, and clean food. Yet that does not dominate the political discussion. It irritates me beyond belief. You've been on the Jim Lehrer Show, NPR, 60 Minutes, all the major networks, and you're out there stumping this, yet there is just a constant stream of negativity from the, 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 the industry about what you're doing. It drives me batty. So on that note, you know, your mission, as stated on the EWG website, the Environmental Working Group for the folks that are listening, says empower you with breakthrough research to make informed choices and live a healthy life in a healthy environment. There is zero about that statement that everybody shouldn't love. It is what we should be as a group focusing on. And I am coming at it as a pediatrician and a physician from the side of health. I want to discuss what you do at the level following Randy Jurdle's work. So I'm gonna turn you loose now. And specifically, I want you to start with your seminal work back in the early 2000s, if I remember correctly, 04, the 10 American study. And then we're gonna really discuss why that's critical. So go at it. Yeah, sure. Well, I, I, you know, that, that, uh, that study originated uh, on a bike ride. Um, uh, so tip number one for parents, get out, get outdoors, get those terpenes in your lungs, get, uh, get those endorphins flowing and uh, get the creative side of your brain activated for, was uh, it a solo bike ride or were you, it was, it, it was just a, no, it was just a morning, a morning ride uh, around nice. Haynes, Haynes point in Washington, DC. It's a nice flat course. I think as I recall a couple miles and you can just spin. And I was frustrated because earlier that week we had conducted a study, uh, published a study. Um, I, I seem to recall about um, pesticides in yeah. in uh, food, and and we got we got really good coverage. But I just didn't. I felt like people were still not really identifying with what we were talking about, which was not so much that the pesticides were in the food, but that they ended up in you, in people. Right. And, um, and so uh, Pete Myers uh, and, uh, and, and colleagues um, uh, had written a book called Our Stolen Future. And in that book, uh, they postulated that if anyone had enough money to test their blood, they could find hundreds of toxic chemicals. So I'm on this bike ride and I'm thinking, what the hell, maybe we should test people's blood maybe we should we should look for the chemicals that are toxic when they're in the air and toxic in food and toxic in water and show people that they're toxic in their bodies. Then there'd be no doubt about exposure because this is one of the pushbacks we often got from industry, Chris, right? Right. Um, well, it's it only matters if you're exposed. Their next step is to suggest that uh, uh, only uh, massive exposures matter. And uh, so I wanted to go after that. So I 
I, I hopped off my bike and I ca called Michael Lerner at Commonweal. And uh, I don't know what time in the morning it was <laughs> at Commonweal. <laughs> I was in DC, he was in California. And, um, and I said, what a, why don't we start a, a process where we, we test people and see what's in their blood? So that started a journey. My colleague at the time, Jane Houlihan, led that work with other scientists at EWG. We had to figure out how to collect people's blood. We had to find the right laboratories. So usually ended up going to two or three to test all the things we wanted to test for. And we spent a lot of money. Um, and after a couple of rounds of testing adults, um, I suggested, well, maybe we should test umbilical cord blood. So Jane um, found uh, the, the American Red Cross was willing to participate in this project. They had, uh, at that time, I don't think they do anymore. They stored umbilical cord blood. And we, um, we got samples of it, 10 samples. We spent about $10,000 per sample at the laboratory. Um, and those, uh, those 10 uh, samples, those 10 human beings who were, um, you know, at, at, at both ends of that umbilical cord were part of our study and we call it 10 Americans. Um, and what we found was, was stunning, really. We found hundreds and hundreds of toxic chemicals, uh, all at very low levels with the technology at the time. I'm sure if we tested now and spent $10,000, we could probably find a lot more chemicals because the analytical chemistry has gotten better. But we found dozens and dozens of carcinogens, uh, known and possible carcinogens. We found neurotoxins. We found uh, developmental toxicants that would uh, interfere with the development of a child or a woman's ability maybe to carry it uh, to full term. Uh, we, we found endocrine disrupting chemicals, chemicals that... Um, tricked the immune system or otherwise um, sent it haywire. Uh, and some, in some cases, we found many more chemicals uh, uh, than uh, many more effects than we had chemicals because we, some chemicals had multiple effects. So when we published that study, we, uh, we also uh, worked with a member of Congress and she was tested too. Um, <clears throat> and we released the results. We you know, we noticed that people were really paying attention now, that it, may, it did make a difference, that um, you were basically born before you drew a breath or had a, a drink of water or a bite of food, um, before you uh, started to work at a factory, before you uh, worked in a farm field or any place else, in the womb, you were exposed to an average of 200 toxic chemicals, industrial chemicals, pesticides, chemicals that are in consumer goods and so forth. All things that shouldn't be in us, weren't designed to be in us. Um, chemicals that we rarely study fully on their own for their toxicity and never study in combination. So no right. one looks at, uh, at all of these chemicals in combination and the industries work very hard. It's a scientific challenge to do it anyway, but the industries work very hard to make sure that these these mixtures of chemicals, these complex mixtures, which are our reality. Um, we're, we're not lab rats getting dosed with one herbicide over the course of a lab experiment. We're, we're lab rats being uh, dosed up with a little bit of the weed killer roundup maybe in your Cheerios, a little bit of lead coming in from your, from your tap, uh, some breathing some, uh, some pollution in the air um, indoors and out. Um, and, and so, we wanted to make the case 
that we really needed to step back and be much more rigorous in how we regulated all of these chemicals because they were ending up in babies while they were still in the womb. Right. So I remember the exact spot I was when I first saw that. You were speaking at Catawba College Center for the Environment. And the part of it that was mind-blowing for me as the pediatrician is I'm watching you up on stage. You're talking about this and you're showing the slides. And then you, you, you sort of poignantly state 10 blood samples tested. At that point, we didn't know adults, whatever. And then you have the picture of the baby. And it was goosebump central as a pediatrician going, holy cow, more than 287, if I remember, chemicals found, yeah. all known to be potentially toxic. And this gets into the whole thing of the Randy Journal. So here it is, 2003, four and five. You're working on your side. Randy Journal's figuring out the epigenetics yep. of nutritional epigenomics and toxicologic epigenomics. So yep. the industry is forever has been telling us that you need a certain amount of toxic dose to have a downstream effect in a human, right? Randy's work clearly states that that's not entirely true. Dana Dolanoy in his lab proved that BPA, the plasticizer, was able to hypomethylate or take the marks off the DNA that said to the gene to be read or silenced. And it clearly caused downstream effects in the mice to become unhealthy. So why would we not believe this to be the same case in humans? And this is the part for me that I really wanted to expressly get out there with your work because we have a very hard time studying this in humans because there's too many variables. Yeah. You can't put a kid in a cage, feed them perfect diet, and then uh, you know, put them on chemicals to see what happens to the outcome or the pregnant mother. So we can't make these big That's right. determinations. The industry hides behind this, which drives me batty. What we do know, disease is on the rise constantly. Autism, one in 10,000 in the 60s, now one in 45 the last time I checked. Cancer on the rise. Type 2, type 2 diabetes is now no longer an adult disease. It's a childhood disease as well. You know, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. So we look at all of these things and we sit here with our heads in the sand going, oh, this is just bad luck. It's not bad luck. So you clearly have shown that we can find these in the cord blood. Randy's group has shown toxicologically, they can be epigenetically damaging, right? So for me, it's not a leap of faith to say, this is serious problem, folks. Yeah. And, and the disconnect comes in uh, where, we, where we regulate the chemicals, right? So right. This, this really shouldn't be something that with all the other things mom and dad have to worry about with a, a, a baby on the way or planning a family, uh, it, you shouldn't have to worry if your food or your tap water or something that's off gassing from that beautiful new sofa you got for your home um, is, you know, is, is poisoning you slowly. Right. And, and yet we do. And so why is that? Well, there are a couple of reasons why a big part of it is the history of how we started regulating these chemicals and we regulate it through a patchwork of laws, but the law that, uh, starts the process for an industrial chemical, the Toxic Substances Control Act, um, is, is really uh, an example of a, of a law where we, we have very coarse assessments of chemicals, if at all, very quick. We don't look for these deeper effects. Basically, if you're, if you're looking at chemical and pollution regulation, generally speaking, you're, look at, you're looking at, um, you know, uh, acute effects like maybe like asthma or choking or something like that, a skin rash, what have you, 
that you see right away that happens when you come in contact. And then from there, you go to uh, birth defects, important thing to, to look for, reproductive uh, damage. Uh, but you're looking for that, the, the outcome, not the, not the chemistry in your body that precedes it. You're looking right. for the, the, the abnormalities uh, that manifest over time um, that we, as you say, we can't test uh, humans and see if this happens. We rely on animal studies. Look at, we look at cancer. We look at uh, certain neurodevelopmental, um, but not, don't do a very good job of that either. That's about it. So right. we, don't, we don't look at the immune system and any impairment or changes or damage to it as a health effect that is regulated. And because we don't, so much of uh, the, the frontiers of medicine and biology over the past 15 to 20 years is kind of off the table. I mean, if you look at um, uh, our, our friend Kim Lyerly from, from Duke University, right? Um, a renowned uh, scientist working on cancer biology from the, from the perspective of the immune system. And Kim will tell you that 15 years ago, um, cancer scientists, oncologists didn't really think the immune system had much to do with cancer. Well, now it's the center of a lot of what is being done to try and treat, find treatments for cancer because we know the immune system is heavily involved. Many of these chemicals at exquisitely low levels, as is often the case with hormones, exquisitely low levels affect the function of the immune system. And we see that. But if the regulators are saying, well, the immune system may be reacting to this chemical, but until we know that it's going to lead to a disease later in life, like cancer, we're not going to regulate it. So those are the battles we fought and so far lost within uh, the regulatory system, both the FDA uh, and the US EPA with respect to taking these chemicals seriously, the way our bodies take them <laughs> seriously. Right. Like, right. oh, cow, what is that stuff coming in? That looks like that looks like a, a, a hormone. That looks like a, a chemical that uh, my, you know, my DNA should react to. And so I, I react. But from a regulatory standpoint, it's like, well, you know, call me when you get a tumor. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you look at Europe as the precautionary principle where the, the company has to prove safety in humans before they can even release it. We have the antithesis of that, which is it, it is a mess. And I agree with you. It's an archaic system. Yeah, it's an outdated system. And. And, you know, I, I have some reason to believe that over time that will change. But even if you look at the way we evaluate carcinogens in this country versus the World Health Organization, IARC, the uh, International Agency for Research on Cancer, and as you suggest, the um, European regulators look at it, it's very, it's very different. Ours, uh, our approach is much more much more full of holes. Lots more chemicals get through the regulatory filter than, than is the, would be the case if, if we followed uh, the, the World Health Organization or the European system. And our, our companies, uh, they like it that way. Yeah, which is, again, why I wanted to speak to you second in this whole process, because for parents to understand this and truly incorporate it into their brain's bandwidth, then they can make the decisions from a consumer level to avoid this as best they can, which is the only way we're ever going to put pressure on these companies. I agree with you. I don't think that the, the regulatory agencies are going to change anytime soon. Unfortunately, again, yeah. going back to, we should always be trying for clean air, clean water, and clean food. 
but we still struggle with that. So for me, it's a grassroots ability. The more people that understand your work, the better we'll have an outcome. So let's let's switch gears a little bit. I want to talk a, a little bit about your work in, in since you stated it, endocrine disrupting chemicals, because I think from a mother's perspective, this is big. You know, we're talking about face makeups, creams, you know, you have a skin deep, you have um, the, the sunscreen, you have all of these systems set up in place to look at these chemicals to help parents understand risk benefit ratio, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, before you talk, I want to I wanna say from, from a specific journal, I want to read something that I think is, is pretty poignant. You know, so uh, Journal of Environmental and Analytical Epigenetics or toxicology, sorry. And the, the name of the article is Epigenetic Effects of Endocrine Disrupting Chemicals. And the reason I want to read this is just in the abstract. It is 2019, and I did a quick search yesterday or two days ago of the recent literature going 2018 to 2020, and I found a litany of articles. And this one basically states, recently there is increasing evidences supported by animal studies emphasizing that exposure to environmental factors, nutrition conditions, xenobiotic, which means foreign chemicals, reproductive factors, and low dose exposure to radiations can alter epigenetic programming and concomitantly enhance the risk for developing diseases. Endocrine disrupting chemicals, EDCs, can influence organization of developing brain, which may appear in the expression of specific or species typical social behaviors, which they're basically stating is questionable for autism. So when you hear that statement, that essentially lays the framework again, that in translational studies, animal models, we have the building blocks for what is happening in humans, right? So talk to me a little bit about the, the, the work EWG has done related to the endocrine disruptors. Well, yeah, I'm, and, and it's endocrine disruptors, it's, um, you know, it's carcinogens, it's, it's the full range of toxic chemicals. We, we basically uh, started off as a policy organization that was, in, you know, our t- intention was to take uh, scientific information, um, go, go to Capitol Hill, go to regulatory agencies and, um, and, and fix the laws, fix the regulations, yeah. fix the rules. We still do that. We're, we'll never give up that, uh, never leave that banner battlefield, Chris. We're, we're all in. But in the course of doing that, we noticed that when we, for example, launched our Skin Deep website, Right. Uh, that has, I, I think at this stage, probably 70, 80,000 personal care products. And we, our, our team broke, uh, broke them down into their ingredients, looked up the toxicology of each ingredient, gave it a rating. Was it, you know, did it look like it, were there studies that showed it uh, interfered with endocrine function, with the hormonal uh, systems in our body? Uh, was, was there evidence that was carcinogenic, neurotoxic, uh, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And we did that thinking if we went to Congress and said there are all these chemicals and personal care products that have these warning signs, we know they penetrate your skin. Sometimes they're designed to do that, and we've found them in blood. We just, you know, we thought, well, Congress will do something about that. Um, on the way, we noticed that there was a huge amount of traffic to the website we built online, Chris, where, yeah. where, where regular people were looking up personal care products yeah. and we rank them. We, we, you know, we rank them and spank them as we say in our, in our shop. Um, and the ones that got uh, better 
better ratings, the greener products were, you know, were, were getting written up on Amazon. I really like this product. It's EWG's given it the stamp of approval. I'm a little slow on the uptake on this stuff, but the light, <laughs> the light bulb went off. And, you know, when, when you have a thousand people an hour coming to a website on personal care products, um, you know, even a, even a slow mover like me can realize there's another route here that we should be looking at. And that's the yes. route I think you're talking about, which is really it's personal empowerment. I mean, there's a part of, part of me thinks, damn it, the regulatory agencies should be doing their job. The other part of me thinks I'm going to get up in front of an audience. Um, and if, and if, if it's an EWG event, at least 70% of the people there will be women. And for some reason, about 40% of the women will be pregnant. I'm supposed to get up in front of them and say, you know what the solution is for the endocrine disrupting chemicals in your food, the pesticides in your food, the toxic chemicals in your couch, et cetera, et cetera. We're going to go to Congress. We're going to get them to pass a law. Then they're, get, they're going to issue regulations at EPA. And by the time that baby in your tummy is having its own babies or grandbabies, uh, we'll have a regulatory fix for you. Not, not happening, Chris. It's right. just like if someone comes into your office and they present with something, you're, you're, gonna, you're gonna take the very first meaningful step you can uh, to deal with the situation. So, so that's what we do. And we encourage MDs like you and, and, and um, medical uh, organizations to do the same. We basically empower people to make their own choices. Um, it's, 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 a uh, you know, something we, we do because the regulatory system isn't working and, and also because it's urgent. We don't want people to be exposed needlessly. So we have the, the shopper's guide to pesticides and produce where you can shop your way, even if you can't afford organic, which doesn't have these toxic pesticides in it that are in conventionally grown produce, but there are, there are produce options out there that, because of the way they're grown, when pesticides are applied and the type applied, we know from laboratory tests of those produce items, they don't have pesticides in them or very low levels. Likewise with tap water, we have the national, the EWG tap water database. You can go and see what's in your tap water and you can find the right filter to filter it out. Sunscreen, uh, this is an area where, you know, the U.S. has fa again fallen behind. There are many safe uh, much safer substances that block the harmful rays of the sun that we're concerned about with, with respect to skin cancer, but we don't have access to them in the U.S. market. So while we're pushing to get those approved, we're also giving people mineral sunscreen choices and they're getting better and better where they really blend in with your skin much better than they did when we started 10 years ago. So you can avoid the harmful chemicals and get the sun protection you need. Wear a hat, wear a long sleeve shirt, but, but if, the parts of it. So, so the point is, we're really, we really decided that on something like endocrine disrupting chemicals, um, it was, it, it was really um, foolish and immoral for us to, to wait until there was a regulatory fix, much as we want that. And we're banging away at EPA and on yeah. the Capitol Hill every day. We've got to give people information that they can use. And here's the thing. Um, over the past, you know, 15 years where we've really been, maybe 20 years where we've really been talking to people about choices in the marketplace they can make, the number of choices have proliferated. There's yep. better protection at lower cost across 
almost any consumer category you can think of because leading companies have realized that consumers want healthy stuff. They don't want to bring something into their home, whether they're eating it or sitting on it or giving it to their child to play in. Um, my, my favorite example of that was when they, they put um, uh, fire retardant chemicals in those, those little play tunnels that, it, that toddlers use, yeah. right? Just in yeah. case they were, they were, you know, smoking while they were going <laughs> through the tunnel. Um, so all this crazy stuff, we don't need it. And um, by sending a signal through the marketplace, and now our products are, are in Amazon, um, and, and Amazon has recognized our, our, our highest uh, rating for personal care products, you can, you can shop your way around a lot of these issues. I'm sorry to say that that's what it takes. Yeah. Um, and there are some issues you can't shop your way around. Air pollution uh, outside, um, you know, we, we need to crack down on power plants and, and internal combustion engines and so forth. We, need, we still need regulation for sure. But that was the route we took, Chris. And it's, it's been amazing to us how we've connected with individuals who have then become active as advocates too. So the yeah. first step seems to be, a, you know, a, a, and it's 80% of them are women. We could, yep. we, you could do a whole show on why this stuff doesn't get through to guys like us, um, <laughs> right? A whole show. Yep. You, can, you can do a week-long series of totally true. Totally gender true. just like doing. Um, yeah. I tell the joke about we, do, we did focus groups early on with, and we divided the men and the women on toxic chemicals and health. And with the women, we would say, well, look, the, you know, there's, there's not 100% proof there's really strong evidence that this chemical might cause this problem. And the, and the women in the focus group would say, well, then let's just go to the solution. What, what, you know, if, if there's, if there's an indication that there's a problem, I don't want to, I don't want my family to have that. You flip over to the men's group and you say the same thing, you know, it looks like there's uh, evidence here and, and, and the men will be like, well, you know, something's going to kill you. And, um, and, uh, you know, when we signed up for this, you said there'd be sandwiches. I mean, no, <laughs> this, is we, this is where we are. So beer pizza, anyway, beer pizza. Right. So, so I'm, if I'm up giving a talk and I'm looking out over all these pregnant women, I'm not going to tell them to wait for Congress to act in, in the fullness of time. I'm going to say, look, there's, here's practical steps you can do to dramatically reduce your exposures and, and it's within reach of normal life. You don't have to move to a mountain meadow and live in a yurt. You, yeah. you can do this in your everyday life. Yeah, it's funny because uh, the reason I named it Women and Children First is clearly because women dictate healthcare um, on all levels. And I, I had a bunch of people complain and say, you know, you should call it family. And I'm like, no, it's mom. Mom, mom is the one who cares oh. the most. Mom is the one who drives the decisions. And frankly, children are what I care about the most. So therefore, I love dads because I'm a dad, but that's not my focus group. Yeah, I mean, look, you, you know, uh, when you look at the barriers you have to overcome to message through the, the American male mindset, yeah. um, it's costly. Lots of yeah. transaction costs there to get through. And uh, we, we, we never stop doing that either. But, you know, um, the, women get it um, and uh, on so many fronts uh, and with healthcare care uh, and, and consumer purchases, 
it's it's vital to you know to to go to the audience that makes a difference and then that translates into companies seeing the behavior so we've yeah. had many companies tell us uh, they they follow our website they know a lot of, seem to know a lot about our traffic levels um, and and on personal care products food uh, and we're doing some really exciting work now um, on on food additives what we're finding is that uh, you know there's there's a an emerging group of business leaders. They're a little younger. Um, many, I will have to say many of them are male. It's, it's doesn't, it seems like the divide is not as deep there in this younger generation. Right. Um, and they're, they're realizing that they want to make a living doing the right thing. And, and they're entering companies with a master's in business administration or whatever. And they're, and they're looking for ways in which they can use the power of the marketplace and the private sector to make change happen. And so we're finding more and more companies like that, Chris, out there now. Um, yeah. it's, not, it's not a perfect solution. We still have problems with our economic system, inequity. We have, you, you know, um, <clears throat> we, we certainly have um, still an, an overwhelming profit mode of driving too many decisions the wrong way. But um, when I talk to young folks now about their career options going forward, and we always have a whole bunch of interns at, uh, from Duke University down by you uh, yeah. every, every summer, um, you know, uh, they're interested in science, they're interested in uh, the environment, they're interested in health. Um, but I, I tell them, don't, you know, don't be shy about looking for the right companies to start going to work for. You don't have to work for the uh, public interest sector. You don't have to work for government to do some great stuff. And I, I yeah. know that for a fact, because I work with business leaders and executives every day and they're, you know, they're, they're, they're they get it. This plastic waste problem, endocrine disrupting chemicals, yeah. uh, you know, reliance on uh, outdated uh, power supplies, fossil fuel, nuclear, there, there's really a pushback against that. And when they do it, it makes a difference. And then what happens is you're, you find yourselves lobbying with someone from the business sector to Congress to make changes happen. And that's, yeah. you know, in More our powerful. world, that's, that's what makes the difference. Yeah, that's what makes the, 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 the ship move. So let's switch gears a little bit. So we sort of focused heavily in the beginning on sort of the epigenetic world. You've also done a bunch of work in the toxicologic world, i.e. the dose meets the crime. So I remember, again, I brought my kids, uh, we're now 17 and 15, to see The Devil oh. We Know, yeah. when you presented that at the Center for the Environment. And that was, I, my kids still talk about that movie today, um, about PFOAs and Teflon. And, and, and it was an indelible mark on their brain. Like, why would people produce these things knowingly hurting us, especially with what DuPont did up in the Ohio River Valley, and now Keymore spinning off in North Carolina. Yeah. So knowing that part of the toxicologic world, you know, what do parents need to know? Because I, I can tell you one thing, I tell all of my patients, if you can afford it, buy a carbon or even better RO filter on all of your drinking water, no matter where you live. Yeah. I just see, I see no downside to clean water. I see yeah. no downside. So knowing what you know, You've met with Aaron Brockovich. We had dinner together. Yeah. You know, all the people you've been exposed to, everybody, toxicologic world. What is the advice you would say to parents today in order to 
reduce that risk, knowing that sometimes chemical companies pop up in your backyard if you're in the rural communities? Well, I, I would say a couple things. One is uh, take it seriously. Don't don't listen to the industry line that uh, you know uh, it's just a tiny amount of this chemical and there's no evidence of human harm. Uh, behind most of those denials, most of that pushback from from industry uh, is a much more complex science that that more often than not suggests, hey, you know, if you're looking at this in a dispassionate way, if you're looking at it strictly speaking, from an independent scientific perspective, um, th there's reason to be concerned. And, and why, why expose yourself if you have a choice? So that's yeah. the first thing. Take it seriously. Secondly, um, in terms of everyday behavior, we, we always encourage people to, to try and develop uh, good habits of environmental health. It's one thing to know all the stuff that's out there that's toxic and be able to itemize it. It's another way to it's another thing altogether to make it part of your, your life and, um, and, and to, to avoid those things. And the way it starts is the way any good habit starts usually is with a kind of a checklist uh, and, and take, take it slowly, have chalk up some small wins yeah. that lead to bigger wins so that you feel like you're, you're feeling empowered. You know, you can't take on everything at once. You can't, we don't say to people, stop everything and put solar panels on your roof. We, you know, right. And, yeah. and, and buy an expensive electric car. We, you know, we say, look, start with, um, start with your, your, um, you know, your bathroom cabinet or your, or your makeup case, start with what's uh, in your shower stall and just use, use what's there, but then go to our website and start shopping for, products that score better and see if they work for you. Some, sometimes a product that's very healthy isn't you know, necessarily uh, suitable to everyone. So keep experimenting, but go down that pathway and reduce the exposures from that route. Food is a really important place to start. Um, just uh, stepping back from all the processed and ultra processed foods is a big, is big progress. But even within that, um, use our shopper's guide to pesticides and produce to shop for cleaner produce, even if you can't find or afford organic, because not everyone can. As my friend Phil Landrigan likes to say, uh, organic is still private school for food. It's great if you can find it and afford it, but not, not everyone can. But there are other choices out there. Take it one sort of area of your life at a time. If you've got a couch that's 15 years old or 10 years old and it still got looks great and it's you're used to snuggling in it and watching TV, does that have flame retardants in it? Almost 100% sure it does. But that's a big purchase. That's a big yeah. thing. It shouldn't. Those right. things shouldn't have been in your furniture. They don't really retard flames. Right. Same with Teflon pans and Teflon cookware. Generally speaking. Uh, uh, you know, uh, sad to say, rainware that has, uh, you know, that's coated with Gore-Tex. Gore-Tex, yeah. Uh, all of these things were allowed into commerce. Um, the companies, in many cases, knew that there were problems with them in terms of human toxicity and human exposure. They, in other words, they were dangerous from lab studies, and they knew they would end up in us. They produced them anyway. The government let them do it. So you have to you know, make decisions slowly but surely over time to begin reducing these exposures. And the reason this, you know, makes scientific sense also is we are talking about chronic exposures. So you want to first eliminate the exposures if you're, you know, 
planning a family or if you're pregnant, if you have little kids, because those exposures in an early age that, that can last sometimes for many years, you want to avoid those. I'll be 70 in a couple of weeks. Exposures for me, a little less meaningful when it comes to cancer and other things, right? It's just, it's just the yeah. way, it's just life. Right. So, so think that through and take it seriously. You don't, and you don't have to, you know, you don't have to be Gwyneth Paltrow or Aaron Brockovich or, or someone to, to take this seriously. The right. science is there. Right. Uh, and it's everything from uh, thinking about how you use a cell phone uh, to uh, putting a filter on your tap water, maybe just put it at the sink for drinking or put, if you can afford it, the whole house, or if you're in a part of the country that has no water supply problems, I'm in California. So reverse osmosis for the whole house here is a big deal because it, you, it wastes a lot of water, right? So, so take, you know, take this on as something that uh, like you would take on exercise or taking care of your car. This right. is where we get guys, right? Yep. My, my doctor used to tell me, Ken, you're, you're, you're a couple years late for your checkup. What, when was the last time you had your car looked at? Oh, well, I follow that schedule pretty carefully. Hmm, really? So you're, <laughs> you're taking better care of your car than, than you're taking care of the body that makes the payments for the car and drives yeah. the car. So, so I think having it become a habit of environmental health is key. And there are lots of Lots of examples out there. Our Skin Deep website um, reinforces the habit of developing checklists. Uh, likewise, the Shopper's Guide to Pesticides and Produce. If you look at any of the successful dieting programs, they, off, almost, they almost always involve a diary of some sort, um, keeping track. Noom is a great, has been a very successful program because they, they coach you all, all along the way. And we try and do something like that too. It's forming those habits that gets you in the mindset that you can um, you can dispense with a lot of these toxic exposures. And while you're doing that, by the way, as I said earlier, you're sending a signal to companies out there. The companies that make the toxic stuff are thinking, hey, our sales are dipping. Where's the, where are the sales going to? They're going to these companies over here, sometimes upstart companies that don't carry a legacy of, you know, bad science and focus on cheapest possible ingredients, they're, they're, they start off focused on health, they're starting to take away market share. And, and what they're making is getting more and more affordable, just like organic in real terms is yeah. organic food has gotten more affordable. Yeah, so I that, that's the route to me, just one step at a time and, and, yeah. and feel that, you know, feel like you've had a win. Yeah. And sometimes corporate stewardship does go down that ride too. I think of Chick-fil-A, you know, the company that, 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 you know, is, un, it's a processed food to some extent, you know, and it's not the perfect food, but in the, in the fast food world is by far the best. And their sales every year are 7 million per store, which is unbelievable being open six days a week. But what I love is that the leadership there has decided the chickens that they're going to serve now have to be free range. So sometimes it does happen at the top, yeah, but in general, yeah. I'm with you hundred percent. We need to be leading this from the bottom up. So, you know, I, I'm actually on your site right now while I'm sitting here, just so parents can hear this audio wise, you know, the shopper's guide to pesticides and produce, the, the, the stuff you can buy without being organic, right? Cause it's got low yeah. residue, avocado, sweet corn, pineapple, onions, papaya, sweet peas, frozen, eggplant, asparagus, broccoli, cabbage, kiwi, cauliflower, mushrooms, honeydew, melon, and cantaloupe. So right there off the bat, 
you know, parents can go to the store and I actually have this on my phone. And when I'm in there and I'm like, I don't want to buy organic, I can quickly pop it up and I look at my phone and go, yeah, this is the one that's not a big deal. So I buy it or, you know, conventional. Yeah. Yeah. But you guys have done the work. Now it's just a simple way for parents to see on your website, everything that's there. And, and again, I'm going to come back full circle to the beginning of this discussion. We cannot prove with a hundred percent certainty that diseases are coming from X, right? Because it's so hard to study in humans. We have animal models and boy, we have some simple leaps of faith that make a lot of sense. So in my mind, why in God's name would we sit here and put these things in our body in the off chance that they're safe? Right. Because yeah. the odds yeah. are not good that they're safe. Yeah. I mean, right? yeah. And it, and it feeds through to, you know, th- think of how we regulate drinking water. So, we regulate drinking water first by doing a, a, a series of studies, government experts do studies, and they find out the level of a contaminant, one contaminant in your drinking water that you can have that won't harm you. Think about that, right? Yeah. So I, I'm told I should drink, I don't know how many glasses of water a day. And, and, and the government experts are trying to figure out how much you can drink when that won't harm you. I, I rather think of water as something that should help me. Not, right, right, right. And then, and then once they find that healthy level, the water utilities push back because they're, you know, they're worried about costs and treatment and the, and the polluters who put the bad stuff in the water, they don't want to be held liable for cleanup, et cetera, et cetera. So they set the, the contaminant goal and then they set a much more lenient level, the maximum contamination contaminant level that's right requires them to take legal action well they don't call it maximum for nothing and so what you're talking about in law after law is that we've in accommodating economic and industry concerns we have a gap between what is legal and what is safe even for regulated stuff right Right. And that's important for people to know as they're setting these, committing themselves to, to better habits of environmental health and environmental health, meaning how you interact with the environment, whether it's the food you eat, the products you purchase and put on your skin or uh, the clothes you wear, the, the couches and furniture you buy, what you clean your countertop with. We have a whole section on our website about healthy home cleaning. For many of those products and ingredients, there is no regulation, none. Mm. For the ones where we do have regulation, that's where the fight starts with industry and they're pushing for higher and higher allowable levels in a product or in the air or in water. Uh, our side and oftentimes government scientists are saying, well, that's, that's a level that will cause harm. In that give and take, you come up with regulations that set a level that may be legal, like, like lead in drinking water right now, but it isn't safe. The right level for lead in your drinking water is this, zero, right? right? Um, and so that's another reason why uh, when, you, uh, in, when you're a, a civilian and you hear these arguments between uh, environmentalists maybe uh, like me and, and, and maybe pediatricians like you, they're all too rare, Chris, um, and industry, what you're really hearing is that tug of war to try and make sure that profit margins are maintained for products and processes 
that would would not make sense environmentally and in terms of human health. And and in the give and take, oftentimes the environmental side is compromised or loses or will have delays in regulations for decades. Right. Uh, right. Some of the things you would think are regu- would be regulated now. Uh, still aren't regulated because the agency's been at a standstill. And some right. some parts of some agencies are captured by the industries that they regulate, just to be honest. And drinking water is a good example. So that divide is where you come in as, as a human being right. w- with your own agency. Forget the food and drug agency. Forget e- EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency. We're talking about your agency. You take the action. It's, a, it's doable, it's affordable, it's, pre, it's interesting to do it. Uh, I find uh, how it, game it, like, uh, you know, how, how can I get the value I need from this uh, piece of furniture or this uh, load of groceries with, you know, dramatically reduced toxic chemical exposures? Right. We can make that happen. We have that, that capability today. EWG's been devoted to doing that for a long time. I wish the government was doing its job. I'll say that just one more time. We're pushing to make sure the government does its job, state and federal. Yeah. But until that's the case, we're living our lives. We're having babies. They're growing up. And um, all during that process, we want to do everything we can to avoid these stupid toxic chemical exposures. It makes yeah. no sense. Yeah. And, and, that's perfectly stated, Ken. And I want to leave because I know you have a, a certain amount of time here. I don't want to overrun you. I could sit and talk to you all day long, but I want to I want to end with two things. Um, number one, we've talked about nutritional epigenomics, toxicologic epigenomics, toxicity in general. We haven't even begun to discuss somewhere down the road. We probably need to discuss this, but transgenerational inheritance, right? So it's clear now. I'm looking right now on my computer. I'm staring at a nature which is one of my favorite journals, scientific reports article, assessment of glyphosate, Roundup, induced epigenetic transgenerational inheritance of pathologies and sperm epimutations, generational toxicology. Randy, I mean, uh, Randy Journal and I talked about this last week. Um, Peter Atia, my favorite podcaster, one of the best, smartest medical professionals right now out there, had a discussion with Mark Hyman and they're talking mm-hmm. about organics. And mm-hmm. I was reading on the website later on Peter's specific website, he got lambasted by people. How could you have this quack on your show? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And it just blows my mind that people have vitriol against a man like, like Mark Hyman, who has only one interest, your human health, Yeah. yeah. right? And they're lambasting him for making discussions about an organic food versus an inorganic food and blah, blah, blah. So transgenerational inheritance is unfortunately a real thing too. So in animal models, we know that if a mom is affected, her great grandchild might be affected epigenetically. So that's another problem, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So Roundup, I know you've spent a lot of time around Roundup. I have a lot of people who email me, text me, ask me, What's the deal with Roundup? I have a field near my house that they, three sessions of growth every year, corn, soy, and I can't remember what the third one is, actually wheat, sorry, wheat. Wheat, yeah. And, and, and they grow this stuff and it looks beautiful. And then all of a sudden, within three days, it's yellow. So yeah. they spray Roundup on it, kill it. And the whole purpose of doing that at the end is just so the combine can get through it faster. Meanwhile, 
this chemical is all over the soil that doesn't break down for a long time, ends up in the groundwater. And again, it's like, so madness from a human health yeah. perspective. So talk to me a little bit about that. And then I want to finish with one last question for you. Yeah. I mean, Roundup is really, uh, in a sense, it's sort of the Oxycontin of, of pesticides, right? Um, and Oxycontin was, was you know, uh, as a, as a, a pain relieving drug was originally thought of to, to be suitable for a fairly small market of mm-hmm. people who maybe in hospice care who had just e- extreme pain. Right. Um, and over time, because um, of the money, uh, mm-hmm. suddenly it went from a you know, $20, $30 million drug to a multi-billion dollar drug because it was prescribed for sprained ankles and whatever else and people got addicted and God knows all the problems that came from that. Same thing kind of happened with Roundup. Uh, Once Monsanto figured out how you could use it um, with seeds that were grown to resist Roundup. Right. uh, And, and we now have corn and soybeans and, and cotton uh, among others that are resistant. You could, you could grow, you could plant the crop, the weeds are coming up while the crop is coming up and you can spray it and only the crop survives at this point if it's Roundup ready seed. So it went from um, something that was used on a small acreage to something that's now used on hundreds of millions of acres. Um, you know, around the world, it's, it's the number one weed killer. And then they decided, well, wh- why not also add another use where on oats, uh, that aren't Roundup ready, that aren't resistant to Roundup, that are killed by it, uh, or chickpeas or other things that don't have a, a, a Roundup resistant uh, seed variety. Let's let's go out and spray those at the end of the season, so that we can harvest them in a uniform way. Well, the problem with that is when you spray oats at the end of the season, it's it's on the grain and it ends up in the Cheerios. It ends up in the all the snacks that that kids love and oats are a healthy grain. We want to, we want to encourage kids who can tolerate uh, those grains to, to, to eat oats or hummus or chickpeas or whatever. Right. So Monsanto got that approved. And um, when we went and tested uh, Cheerios and other oat based cereals uh, and we tested hummus, we found Roundup in it. Right. It's, it's right in the food. So our pushback has helped um, eliminate some of that in farming because oat suppliers are now saying to their farmers, oat, oat, uh, oat sellers, look, we're, we're, we're not going to accept grain that's been sprayed with Roundup. And Kellogg's uh, announced uh, about a year ago, we're going to stop purchasing oat products for our food products if they've been sprayed with Roundup. They had a, you know, a period of time where they basically cleaned out their silos. But this is the kind of craziness that we don't need, right? We, we, right. we, don't, we don't need companies deciding that they, they need another 40, 50, $100 million dollars um, just because they can take a, a chemical and Roundup does have it does have relative some other to some other uh, weed killers. It, it has some advantages. It's not as toxic as and, and quite as dangerous as some others are. Uh, I think like Paraquat, for example. But 
but it should not have been used in that excessive way. If we cut out that, that late season spraying of food crops that aren't resistant to Roundup, if we cut that out, we'd cut out a lot of the dietary exposure to Roundup. Now, that doesn't mean it's okay, because it's, as you say, it's in the air, farmers are exposed, neighbors are exposed, they can get into drinking water. Um, that's not okay. But step by step, if we started taking action on these uh, on these specific exposure routes, it would make a it would make a human health difference. And Monsanto should do that. The, uh, Bayer, now the, the, the parent company, they should do that. They should just if they're interested in sustainability and you read their website, it's all over their website. Sustainable, sustainable, sustainable. Why are you doing this? Why right. are you why are you allowing this use of your product. Yeah, you're making a little more money, but you're exposing infants. How many infants pop, you know, and, and, and toddlers will eat a bowl of Cheerios? Why, why would we want to do that? Right. Well, Monsanto thinks it's fine. Yeah. And interestingly enough, in the last three years, one of the common conversations I have with parents is I have a rural community. Do you live within a mile of a farm? And if you do, yeah. do you know their spraying pattern? And I ask all of them, go to the farmer, ask them when they spray, keep your windows closed, you know, and, and it's, it's a shame, but that's the yeah. reality. My conversations in clinic now are so vastly different than they were 20 yeah. years ago, as I've become aware of what are the real risks and right. And so this is, this is a major problem and, and, and kudos to you and your organization for, for shining spotlights where they need to be shown. Right. So it is, it is crystal clear to me that America and, and, and all of our 300 and however 25 million population needs to be aware of what you and your organization are doing. Because in the absence of that, you are just putting yourself at risk. And, and that's simply what it is. You are yeah. abjectly putting yourself at risk to be unknowing of the data. And, and so I hope and pray that, again, more people hear about your work and your company's work and everything that's going on so that, therefore, we can educate our society to be prevention-based. Because prevention, it is the cheapest form of medicine there is, by far. Probably, a, a, you know, a, a thousand X cheaper to prevent a disease than to treat a disease. So on that last note, you know... I, Ken, I ask a lot of folks, you are a policy guy, so this is perfectly up your alley. Most people are not. My decision always would be to change school food. I would force policymakers to completely change what we feed our kids. If you were to pick one, just give me one policy that you would say right now, Congress, change this to that. What would you make it? What would well, you say? I, I would vote for the school food um, universal school food, uh, br breakfast and lunch and yep. make it healthy. So no question about that, but, you, but that's your vote. So I don't, I just have to second that. Now I get it. Yeah, all right, good. Second that one. And then so, give me another. So I'll give you an example. Uh, I want Congress to show me that we can actually crack down and regulate a, a hazardous toxic chemical. And the way for them to do that right now is to crack down on these PFAS chemicals, the chemicals yeah. that were in Teflon and, uh, and, and Scotchgard, other, other brand names we know of. The, these chemicals are in all of us. They're in our blood. Uh, there's a whole, there are thousands of them that we think are in commerce. We don't even know that for sure. And many of them are contaminating uh, landfill sites. They're, they're in drinking water. They're in... They're in the sludge of, 
uh, of, of waste ponds. They're everywhere. Um, and we need Congress to step up and across the board regulate them, get them out of firefighting foam, clean up where the damage has been done in community drinking water systems, require very stringent levels, like one part per trillion, uh, crack down where, wherever it's above that level in drinking water, because this is a chemical that has become notorious. We, we were the first group to work on it 20 plus years ago when the story broke at the Teflon plant in Parkersburg, West Virginia, we got involved. And, and 20 plus years later, we still haven't done much in terms of policy. And we, we really need to prove to ourselves with this family of chemicals that we can protect ourselves from hazardous substances. If we can't do it with this group of chemicals, I, dis, I really do despair, Chris, of our ability to do it uh, over some lesser categories uh, that aren't as widely used in industry. So that, that would be my test. Crack, you know, really make the world safe from PFAS that's already out there, shut off the spigot, don't let any more out. That would be my test for Congress. Can we love do it. this job? Love it, love it, love it. Ken, whew, um, I don't know how to end this other than to say I uh, personally am unbelievably grateful to one, know you, two, know your work. I mean, it chokes me up a little bit because, you know, as a pediatrician, I love kids. Yeah. And, you know, when you're 100 and you look back on this world and what you left behind, Ken, you're a gift to America. Oh. Oh, you're very sweet to say that. No, I, I, I'm serious. You know, this is a blessing to me to know that I can turn parents to www.ewg.org, ewg.org, and say, hey, go there. My buddy has done the work. Listen, read, follow, learn, because your kids deserve the best health. And again, I'm sorry for choking up, but you've done a lot for me, Ken, and I'm, I'm grateful for the hour, I'm grateful for your time, and I and I thank you for giving for these kids. Well, brother, we will never stop. Um, thank you for your passion for kids. We, you, there are a lot of guys out there that share that. I will tell you, Mark Hyman is one of them. Phil Landry yeah, is awesome. one of them, right? Andy Weil is is one of them. There there are lots and lots of them out there uh, who are doing the good work in in the medical community. We need to expand that. Uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll never stop. We're, we're going to keep going. And, and now I have, you know, as EWG has grown, um, we have a team of, of, of scientists who are publishing in the peer-reviewed literature, uh, half a dozen Beautiful. or more papers a year. Uh, so we, we want to grow that capability too and uh, back up our work with even stronger science. So, uh, but it, it all comes down to, uh, to people like you, practitioners who are telling parents, look, when you think about your health, think about it holistically. Think about the whole picture. Uh, yeah. we, we want prevention to be really at the forefront of your strategy and habits of environmental health fit, fit right into that. So brother, right back at you. Thank you for your amazing work and uh, uh, just grateful for all the kids whose lives you've touched through their parents uh, who are healthier for it. it means everything. Well, Ken, as I said, you're a blessing to me in this world. So thank you for your one hour. Thank you for your time and really uh, uh, everything you've done. You bet. And we'll see you soon. And yes, your beautiful wife too. Uh, my wife, will, she will be there. She. Wait she, a minute. How she, old are the kids again now? 
uh, 17 and 15, rising impossible. senior and rising sophomore. Oh, yeah. impossible, impossible. Okay, well, I want to see them too. All right. Uh, we look forward to it, my friend. And thank you right. again. Have a great day. Yeah, yeah. Talk soon. Ciao, ciao. Ciao. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Ken Cook. He is a passionate and amazing person. As you can tell, I, I have a lot of respect for him and all of his work. So I'm going to keep the ending of this pretty short because I know that was a long podcast, but I just wanted to touch on a few things, right? So you look at this information, it is very clear. We're spending far too much time living a life where we are not being given the best information that will help protect us and prevent disease. So, you know, when you look at this stuff, I'm looking at an article right now, Journal of Environmental Analytical Toxicology, you know, the epigenetic effects of endocrine disrupting chemicals. And they talk in this of clearly about the mechanistic risks of being exposed to these chemicals, these plasticizers, these, these female um, women's care products and shampoos and makeups and all of these different things that could potentially cause disease in humans. And, and I'm not going to go into each specific one, but if you look at this article, Mohammed Shahidenhi Dia did this in, in 2016. It lists tons of possibilities. And then you look at other articles, you know, where they, they are talking about, you know, maternal levels of endocrine disrupting chemicals in the first trimester of pregnancy are associated with infant cord blood DNA methylation, right? So this is Montrose from the journal Epigenetics in 2018. And, and I had a third one up here that I wanted to say impacts of bisphenol A and phthalates uh, exposures on epigenetic outcomes in the human placenta, you know, environmental epigenetics from uh, looks like here, 2018 from Strakowski. You know, the, the, the information is here and we need to really start listening to what Ken is saying and what we need to be as a group, mothers, fathers, children, really focused on. Let's not wait for the research to prove equivocally that we're dying these diseases. Let's assume that the mechanistic research that Randy Jurdel showed us and the toxicologic data coming out is really showing us that we need to stop, think, change, make decisions that are in the best interest for prevention of our own health and that of our children. So with that being said, I hope you really enjoyed this number two interview with Ken Cook related to the Women and Children Health Series. And we're going to move on next time to a fantastic conversation on fertility with Dr. Victoria Mazes from the University of Arizona. And I think you'll be really pleased because she is a fantastic teacher as well, one of my favorite teachers over the last 20 years. So with that being said, as always, hug those kids and I'll see you next time. Now for the disclaimer. The information provided in this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for advice and treatment provided by your physician or other healthcare professional and is not to be used to diagnose or treat a health issue. The podcast does not constitute any form of patient-doctor relationship and will never. This is a Krish Media copyrighted inform informational product. Have a great day.